0: Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons. In this episode, we discuss dealing with retiring baby boomers and whether that loss of engineering knowledge is a reason for doom and gloom or merely a new opportunity.
1: The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, and Carmen, and Jeff, as they discuss
0: issues of interest to today's engineering profession. This is episode 112, Boomer Exodus, July 7th, 2016. So Adam, have you ever heard of the retirement cliff?
1: Yeah, I have. Isn't that, that uh, the cliff we're kind of hanging off right now? Where everybody's about to to quit
0: well i don't know if they're about to re quit, but retire let's say yeah same thing yeah i it's it's been a you know an issue that's been hanging around for a number of years, this whole idea that all the baby boomers who have been uh, a big percentage of the working population have been you know in in a position to retire, and year after year we keep hearing that the boomers are going to retire, the boomers are going, going to retire, and yet the, the boomers don't retire <laughs> uh and uh that makes it a little more difficult for the uh the generations behind to, uh, to move into those engineering positions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, around my office, there's a, most of the people in my, my little unit, um, claim to have retirement dates set, but they <clears> seem <throat> to move a little bit.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I think what you, you start to realize that, uh, the day is going to come when you're, you know, you're going to, uh, get out of bed, shower go downstairs eat breakfast and then there's no place for you to go <laughs> go i don't know what to do with myself i uh you know we, we at least in the u.s we tend to be very much associated with our job uh description you know our, our identity is very much attached to the job so i think it's it's hard for a lot of people to quit it's why you have to have a tea time scheduled far enough in
1: advance and move to a place <laughs> uh south where you don't have to contend with the snow all winter
0: long uh yeah well that was that would certainly help. hmm That would help. Well, so what we don't know for sure, because we're not expert with the numbers, are, are exactly uh, exactly how quickly the boomers are going to retire and what that means for the job market. And so in this episode, uh, we wanted to focus not so much on uh, the job market, although we will, we will do some of that, uh, to, but to focus more on the loss of information when engineers retire. You know, skilled engineers who've been in the field many years – uh, they retire, they go away. Uh, what does that mean for the, uh, for the field of engineering, for the companies that hire engineers, uh, for the individual engineers? We can talk some about that in this episode. So I will open with this fact. And uh, of course, uh, worldwide, the demographics are going to be different. But here in the United States, roughly 10,000 people reach retirement age every single day. And this will continue for the next dozen years.
2: It's quite a lot of people. <laughs> and everyone has a fully funded pension and uh, 401k. Yeah, that, that's the
0: issue is that uh, this generation, is at, le- at least the most recent boomers, don't have pensions, and they didn't fund their 401k, <laughs> which is why they're working so long. Mm-hmm. But uh, so j- just for uh, you know rough numbers, I-, I did this calculation. There are about 2 million engineers in the United States. Uh, And we have a population of about 324 million. And so if that percentage is roughly right and we're 10,000 people a day are getting to retirement age, that would be about 62 engineers per day or about uh, 22,600 engineers per year that are hitting retirement age. Now, the point is that not all of them who hit retirement age actually retire. Uh, There seems to be a number of them that are going on to part-time jobs or, you know, flex-time jobs. And to give you a sense of that, the 22,600 per year that are eligible for retirement, and the United States is graduating roughly 70,000 undergraduates each year. So uh, that means the market has to grow at about 50,000 engineering jobs each year. Uh, just to absorb the new graduates that are coming into the market,
3: need another space race, <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> and those twenty two thousand six hundred actually have to retire. They actually have to retire and the the numbers i 've seen there was a there was a study out of i think it was Georgia Tech, but i maybe it was i i 'll try to link to it in the show notes, but said that it, really only about uh, about forty or fifty percent of those with an engineering degree are in engineering five years later. The rest have gone into wood chippers. (laughs) Well, you've been warned or 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 they've gone into some, some other field. Uh, Certainly, certainly the, what you learn in engineering school. And if you have the ability to think abstractly, that's beneficial. Uh, But not everybody with an engineering degree uh, ends up in the engineering field.
3: So what we're saying is as these old engineers retire, there still won't be enough jobs for us or we're all going to be in trouble because it will disappear.
2: Or if we calculate based on the attachment rate of engineers to engineering, engineering graduates, engineering work, we're still short. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying I haven't the foggiest idea what's okay. going on. I,
0: I, You know, you you hear people uh, screaming for, we need more engineers, we need more engineers. And yet at times there, there are those who are going, we don't really have a... A engineering shortage. Uh, we don't see the salaries of engineers aren't skyrocketing. Those uh, the time delay when when job postings go up and people get hired. It's not it's not super long. Uh, engineers are not getting huge cash, bo- you know, depends on industries, but are not getting huge cash bonuses for signing in like you would expect to if there's a real shortage of engineers. But we continue to hear that we need more. Uh, so I, I so I don't want to get into the argument of whether we have too many engineers or not enough engineers because I don't know I don't I you know I'm not knowledgeable about the numbers and I don't know. But I would pass along I came across in in uh preparing for this episode I came across an article that was in National Defense Magazine their website. And it's an article from uh November of 2013 that says defense executives shortage of engineers is not a myth. And so it goes to uh, sort of counteract some of these claims that that we don't need more STEM graduates, that that this push for more STEM graduates is is uh, is unwise. And so it goes through the article. It was a it was a just a general, you know, okay. It didn't tell me a whole lot that I didn't already know. And then I got down to the comments. <laughs> uh, Never read the comments. <laughs> yes. So uh, comment one from. I assume Engineer Dennis was. How can there be a shortage if every opening has two hundred to two thousand applicants?
2: Where is this happening? Like th- that's always the first comment. Where on earth is this happening?
0: I I don't know. I'm just reading what Dennis had to say.
1: I applied for a job that they interviewed a hundred people.
0: Okay. So let me see. Uh, defense employee anonymous defense employee writes. New STEM grads don't stay away from aerospace and defense because it's not interesting or not sexy enough. They stay away because the pay is below market and the company cultures are awful. Uh, Anonymous career engineer writes the title of this blog posting is completely misleading. A more correct title would be highly compensated defense executives with hidden agenda to depress labor costs. shortage of engineers willing to work for low pay, soul crushing bureaucracies and no job security is not a myth. (laughs)
3: I don't know. I can't speak to the validity of this article or its <laughs> wonderful commenters, but I don't want to work for a soul-crushing bureaucracy with no job security. Right? No,
0: I no, I understand that. And so that's the that's the hard part. Is who knows what to believe? That you know, without really getting into the numbers, you you have uh, the article that's making the claim that the shortage of engineers is not a myth, and then every every single comment on this is is an engineer going, "This article is misleading." So. I think it depends, you know, which side of the job market you sit in, sit on and, and what your current career status is. Yeah. Uh, and, cer- and certainly some, you know, some fields, uh, if you're more a generalist, you know, mechanical, electrical engineer, it's probably easier to transfer from, uh, from field to field. Uh, if you're more specialized, you know, petroleum engineer or aerospace engineer, it's, it's probably a little more difficult.
2: It means you're moving. I, I think that's, my experience has been if you're in a very specialized field, be ready to travel. (laughs) I mean, it is, I mean, you mean travel job to job or travel geographically, geographically, Uh both (laughs) as a doubly generalist in uh, the metro area. I live in it's, you know, there's probably two dozen major companies that have an engineering presence. And then, you know, an untold number of small companies that have an engineering presence. But if, as a you know, for some of the fields that you mentioned, there's maybe only one or two companies that have a presence in our city. Mm-hmm. And so, if it doesn't work out at one of those companies, or you want a new job challenge, you are probably moving to Phoenix or or uh, California, right? And and those two areas, just because that's where the jobs are. Well, I mean other large aero defense places. Um yeah. you know, Seattle, Washington's also huge in aero. You know, uh, Carolinas. Mm-hmm. Or defense tech in general. Probably yeah. uh, gonna probably end up living in Virginia at some point, I would imagine.
0: Yeah. Well that that makes it a little more difficult. We know from uh, our previous conversations with uh with Jim Heilman about relocating that uh, fewer and fewer people are willing to relocate. Uh it used to be fairly common to pick up and move uh several times for a job and these days people don't want to do that.
2: Mhm.
3: Absolutely. Buying a house is a pain in the ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: yes it is. Yeah. And and I suppose that the yeah. world shrunk, right? It it doesn't seem like such a big deal uh you know it used to be if you wanted to communicate with the people in Phoenix you had to be in Phoenix but now with the internet you feel like you can do it via yeah,
3: jump uh, on Skype or Slack Webex or, or yeah. Skype
0: or yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why do I have to be there? I'd much rather sit here with my friends and.
3: You can fly me out once or twice a year. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, so this, you know, this concern about engineers departing has uh, been around for quite a while. There was a, uh, there was an article in uh, July of 2000 in monthly labor review that talked about the the labor force effects of retiring baby boomers and, and talking even back then uh, at the turn of the century about how it was going to be very uh, critical to business to get plans in place to, to handle this. And, uh, but it, this, the sign seem to be that the boomers haven't been retiring. Now just
3: for, you know, so we're on the same page or how old are they considering baby boomers? Like, you know, what age, age range? Uh, traditionally boomers are from, Post-war, so that's like
0: 45 or 46. So Let's like 46 to 64. Okay. Those are generally the numbers that I remember because they switch uh, the decimals or the switch the numerals. So if you were born in 64, then you would be 50 in 2014. Add two, so you're 52 now. So if you're the youngest of the boomers, you'd be 52. If you're the oldest of the boomers, uh, you would add 18 years, you'd be 70.
3: Okay. So guys who've had quite the career, they've seen a lot of industries start, become what they are today. So there's no doubt that uh, there's some experience
0: that that you gain over time. In fact, there was an article, there was a consulting group called the Industry Group and they had a white paper called Baby Boomer Retirement and its Effects on the Energy Industry. Uh, They apparently were tailoring this uh, to the energy industry, but I found what they said interesting. Uh, And they said, there is no such thing as a typical career in the energy industry. Engineers and scientists may gain employment initially because of their field of study, but quickly migrate to specialties and areas according to need and interest. By the time an engineer has been in the industry for 10 years, he or she has firm ideas about how to solve a given set of problems with a given set of processes and tools, and has identified the weaknesses, potential and past mistakes associated associated with known solutions. As years pass, these professionals continue to learn and develop new and improved methods and technologies associated with the problems they face. In some cases, an engineer may attempt hundreds of approaches, learning from the shortcomings of each until he or she finally lands on the most efficient solution. If that engineer happens to retire before defining a final solution, all the effort, thought, work, and business potential associated with that solution disappears. The broad-reaching effects of losing the organic intellectual property locked in the minds of boomers in the energy sector are dramatic, and have the potential to change the course of a company, an industry, and even an economy. So, yeah, after you've, you you know after you've been at the job for thirty years, uh, you figured a few things out.
3: Definitely, I've I've seen that at work. Um, you know, in the IC industry, obviously back in nineteen forty-six there was no IC industry. You know that <laughs> right. that picked up in the uh, you know, the the 50s and 60s with the planar process and the first integrated circuits coming out. And we had a guy retire. Jeez, has it really been two years already? I don't know. We'll call it two years for the sake of the podcast. But he'd been doing IC design for 46, 47 years. Mm-hmm. That's, and we've have a couple other guys who have been around for about that long, maybe a few years less. But just the amount of esoteric stuff that they know that used to be just the daily bread and butter back then cuz you're building the process for the first time so you see all these weird defects with transistors and you know semiconductor issues that we've sort of figured out today but every now and then they'll still rear their head up and the time it would take me to figure that out versus you know searching 30 years of experience where you know you've seen this before it's mm-hmm. it's crazy yeah there's
0: there's a certain knowledge that comes from just trial and error. And, uh, if you've been through it, you know, you've been through the, the battles, then, then you know, a few tricks. Uh, you know, the, the downside though, is that, that you are, you tend to, as you get older, you tend to become more set in your ways. You think you've seen it all. It's harder to change your mind. You forget. It's easy to forget that, uh, the technologies change, the situations change, the people change. And so solutions that didn't work 20 years ago may work quite well now. Um, uh, and so that's you know that's sort of the downside you, you want that uh, you want that gray beard knowledge hanging around but you also you you want your your engineers to be open to new possibilities
3: definitely definitely and I I can always speak to my profession as I always say but uh thankfully a lot of the gray beards that I've been working with they've, uh, they've been pretty open to things you know a lot of the problems and analog are still the same problems you've always had to deal with, you know, noise and signal integrity and making sure what you want to measure is actually what you're measuring. And, you know, it's, it's stuff you're starting to see creep into things like the digital field. As uh, Dave Vandenbot was saying, not too long ago, you know, not everybody's using the old school, <clears throat> excuse me, K maps and everything from uh, back in the day, you don't need to optimize <laughs> logic anymore. It's way too complex in an FPGA to do that yourself. So you may have someone who's stuck in their ways and still insists on the uh, schematic view for FPGAs as opposed to VHDL or Verilog. And, you know, Dave can turn over in his grave now or his grave, his bed. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Well, there was a uh, there was
3: an article in the
0: uh, Harvard Business Review that talked talked about what ha- what's lost when experts retire. Yeah.
3: What does Harvard know? Uh, well, I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh, they had four features. Or characteristics they thought uh, were lost, and interestingly enough, none of them were technical. You know, it wasn't really the the technical knowledge uh, that that gets lost. So the first one was relationships. And so after uh, you spend several decades in an industry, you know who to call. You have you've you've developed relationships, and if you need a favor, you can pick up the phone and get that favor done. Uh, and so if that experienced engineer walks away. And is replaced with somebody that's younger, that younger person, uh, unless they've had some time to you know meet these people, but but you're never going to do that in, in any kind of, of overlap period, you know whether it be six days, six weeks, six months, six years you're never going to you know have the breadth of experience that you have of, of being in a job for several decades, and yeah. so you'll be
3: lucky if you hit the high points <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: so so the first thing that gets lost is are those industry relationships. Uh, the next thing that gets loss perhaps is the reputation. So just because you have the title engineer from ABC company, if you've been showing up at industry events and having these communications with people over many years, you will have developed a reputation. You know, if you retire and somebody younger comes in to step into that place and people don't know you, the younger person, then that reputation is gone. It doesn't matter that you have the same title as the person who retired Uh, they just don't know you. So you don't have the same reputation. You're not probably not able to get the same favors to sort of make things happen the way that the older, uh, engineer was able to, but that's, everybody has to start someplace. I don't think that's necessarily bad. I, you know, everybody needs a chance and you don't learn until you start getting a chance to do it.
3: Agreed. But from a business standpoint, you know, you want to make sure if you've always dealt with, uh, Tony at PCB fab house X, uh, You know, and he he knows your process, he knows how to get all your difficult ICs on there, he produces good quality boards and then Tony retires. Yeah, you may give his replacement like one shot, but you know, not saying the replacement shouldn't get the chance to earn their keep and prove their worth, but if you if you don't have the time to give him one or two tries to go anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, that then you do lose out. And you're starting from scratch with another vendor who hopefully has more experience or you know, something along those lines.
0: Yeah. But businesses are, are, are set up as money-making machines, right? Once they figure out the, I mean, that's the whole bit about being a startup is you don't know what the correct mix is, you know, customers and offering and pricing and and all that stuff. And the whole bit of being a startup is to figure out what the value is and what people are willing to pay for. And once you figure that out, you have a business that's going concern, then you want to set, you know, set it up and accelerate the rate at which you make money and you do not want to mess that up.
3: Yeah, definitely want to back off.
0: Absolutely. If you're an engineer that's been in your job for 20 years and your company's making money having you in that job, they don't want to see you go. Unless, they, unless, of course, they think they can replace you with somebody for half the price in which they'll say, Arriba Durchi. Yeah,
3: take <laughs> it easy. Here's your gold-plated watch. Right. Sometimes you don't even get the watch. No, that's why I said gold-plated instead of gold.
0: <laughs> right got gold-plated pink slip i suppose
2: then it wouldn't be pink would it
0: <laughs> pink gold
2: no that's
1: diamonds that are pink
2: <laughs> <laughs> right no you've got the rose gold from apple there you go that's that's what we meant yes so
0: if you have uh if senior engineers may have the relationships and the reputation They also have the ability to avoid a certain amount of rework, Uh, and that's the idea that they've tried things. And so uh, sometimes they can look at the situation and know what's going to work or not going to work. And there are a lot of things in this world that seem like a great idea, but once you get into it, the devil's always in the details, and you discover there's something deep down into this concept that just isn't going to happen, and you lose some of that. Uh, when the when the experience goes away, the the next generation comes along and has to try it for themselves. Again, that's not necessarily bad. You can't transfer all information uh, via memo. So sometimes you just have to try it to learn what works and what doesn't work.
3: Yeah, I feel like that's the technical knowledge you were saying was missing, the ability to know what works and doesn't work. Well, yes. So I suppose it,
0: it's not technical per se. It's not like the ability to, to – uh, calculate Laplace transforms, but it's the knowledge of uh, the experience of having tried things and, and knowing things, I think, that are beyond the technical.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still the the technical now, you know, maybe defining new product areas or avenues to, you know, take the company. Uh, you know, if you lose your technical core due to retirement, you know, you're, the, the new guys won't know what works, what doesn't work. You know, they can do research and try and figure that out. And hopefully you don't just Take their word blindly, but you're, you're slowing down the process of knowing how to pivot your company to focus on new areas. And yeah, it's still right. a lot of technical knowledge you're losing there to know what's possible and what doesn't work, what's the fool's errand and what's already been done. Right. Well, and I, I,
1: I would believe that most companies aren't hiring senior engineers because they're really good at doing the math, because computers are really good <laughs> at doing the math and cost a whole lot less than a senior engineer. Yes. So I I mean yeah. that's what the value is is that they've done it before they know what's not going to work and can direct the
0: the path. Yes. Well but but if you hire in a senior engineer aren't you I mean you're you're hiring them for the same reasons we're saying here you're going to lose something when they go. You hire them for their relationships. They know the industry and they knew who to talk to in the industry. Mm-hmm. They have a reputation. Uh so when people, you know, when when your customers are talking to your new senior engineer uh, they know they're talking to someone that can be believed uh they have vil- a, an ability to avoid rework you know they they don't spend lots of time you know reinventing the wheel or or making the same mistake and and the and the fourth r in this article was regeneration they're able because of their knowledge of the industry uh able to more quickly develop new products that will be acceptable to the, your client base
3: i thought we so, were talking the ability to like regrow an arm like a starfish <laughs> <laughs> I'll do more internships if someone could teach me that.
1: It'd <laughs> uh, be a neat trick. Yeah, that doesn't sound like boomers that I know.
2: Step one: cut off arm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're you're saying the ability to regrow limbs is not like the boomers you've you know. Yes, yes. Most of them seem to uh, regenerate slower.
3: <laughs> well, it's it's got to be a clean cut, Adam. You know, you're working around heavy machinery; it just rips and tears. It's it's a totally oh. different type of healing.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: You're flattened by the pavement truck and the cement mixer and the asphalt you know, thing that shoots the flames. It's it's much different than just, oop, lost my <laughs> finger in a bandsaw. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well. And, yeah. And I can tell you know a lot about paving there, Carmen.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know a <laughs> thing or two about nothing. <laughs>
1: the asphalt thing that fl- spits the flames. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I've, I've watched a street get repaved. I mean, I know the technical term, but I got the street smarts. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I, you are all significantly younger than I am, but you will, you will discover an age in which you still feel like you're 23, but your body doesn't react like it's 23 anymore. And, uh, it's called 35.
3: Oh man. I can't wait for that Taylor Swift song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So you're not kidding, Brian. It it starts in your thirties and accelerates in your forties. And by the time you hit your fifties, you, uh, you, you know, something's changing. Definitely.
2: It's like reverse puberty. Everything gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I was in, in researching again for this, for this episode, I was reading about engineers that had worked until they were 70 and then retired and, and started a consultancy or working part-time into their 80s and 90s. So that, I guess that's one nice thing about you know engineering. It usually doesn't require a lot of heavy lifting. So uh, as long as your brain stays sharp, there's no reason why you can't keep doing it.
2: I know a couple of people
3: like that. Yeah. Yeah. You can always be useful as long as you can form a coherent thought. And if not, go into management. <laughs> <laughs> Man. It's throwing out the zingers tonight. Well, what's the deal <laughs> with management? <laughs> right. So do we have a point for regeneration or do we just go into jokes? Was I not paying attention? Well, I, I
0: think I think the point in regeneration is just that experienced engineers tend to be pretty good at knowing what their knowledge of the market, as well as what can be done technically, allows them to to quickly address customer needs, create new products, mm. services, that kind of thing.
3: Gotcha. I still like starfish. That was pretty good. All right. So,
0: if you believe all these these reports of of this impending doom due to the boomer exodus, and again, I'm not saying it is true, but Certainly at some point, a lot of engineers that are boomers are going to be retiring out and, and providing openings for younger, younger engineers. So the question is, what do you do to transfer the information that they've uh, accumulated over the years? Uh, I was listening to a recent episode of The Amp Hour, and they were talking, I, I believe they were mentioning a, a videotape that had taken an engineer and videotaped him, and, and so they had a number of hours of him talking about his product knowledge. And so that's one way to go. Uh, And in fact, there was an article about a a company, uh, BAE, a multinational defense and aerospace company that's been preparing for this retirement cliff. Uh, And they said that when BAE learns that an employee with deep institutional knowledge plans to retire, whether in a few months or a couple of years, a knowledge transfer group of about half a dozen people of varying ages working in the same area is formed. The teams meet regularly over months to talk and exchange advice. Younger workers elicit tips, and in some cases, older ones gradually hand off tasks to junior employees.
3: Hmm. I was going to say they have the manpower to do that, but I guess if they're only meeting a couple times a month, that's not too bad. It's just another meeting here and there.
0: Yeah. So, so my, my question is twofold. One is, what do you do to trans? What do you think is a good idea? You know, to transfer information, and what exactly it is, is it that you're transferring?
3: I mean, I think they have a pretty good system in place right there where you get half a dozen engineers. And I I don't, I don't know if you need that many or not, but you know, I would, I would say at least two, some, you know, young, young new hire with, you know, maybe a couple of years experience. So they at least know the the general generalities of the job. And then someone with more experience, who's not close to retirement, say 15 years away or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, You know, you sit them down and put them on projects with the, you know, the, the old man who old gray beard, who's looking to retire and transfer the knowledge, I guess, (laughs) you know, then, then you're always ensuring there's two people. You have some redundancy. Right. And the, you get the benefit of younger eyes to see what's been done and maybe ways to take it into the future, you know, maybe, uh, the the boomer hasn't been looking into, you know, the Internet of Things or Raspberry Pis or Arduino and can teach the younger engineer something that they can then apply to these new areas that he hasn't known about. And, you know, the engineer who's in the middle of his career can apply it to problems they're facing today and keep it going in the process that's already being done in the company.
2: Mm-hmm. Personally, I think there could be some value in, you know – Taking a week and having, uh, assuming this is somebody with institutional knowledge, having to do kind of a just an oral history of each product they've worked on.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: kind of go through each widget and anything that comes back in terms of the story of how it was developed, the things they tried, the things that failed, and oh, you wouldn't have believed what happened when we used, you know, electrolytic caps in this application. You know, it. I think a lot that would trigger a lot of those useful anecdotes, and uh, you know the situa- the situation based failures and successes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, so it seems to me that the you know the proper place is to
0: to get the the retiring engineer and the younger engineer together and go sit down for a beer and and spend a couple hours, you know, on a weekly basis for a while, sharing some of this information, but. I think back to a lot of the businesses I've worked for and I find it hard to believe that they would be okay with, you know, two or three or a half a dozen engineers going into a room and just BSing for a while about past projects.
3: Well you could you could bake it into the company culture and yeah, maybe you can't spare two hours on a workday, but if you did it, say, every day at lunch or three times a week at lunch, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, have just yeah, any engineer rotate it. I mean, there's no reason the old guys can't learn from uh, the young guys fresh out of school and you know, have a, a lunch and learn session where, you know, everyone brings their lunch or the company every now and then'll, you know, buy some sandwiches or whatever. And you can tell an anecdote or give, you know, a whiteboard session or something and just just always have knowledge transferring as opposed to waiting until oh shit, Bill's gonna retire and no one asked him how, you know, <laughs> we get these machines up and running to, you know, tool our CNC stuff for, I know just as much right. about machining as I do about road paving. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you make an excellent point,
0: Carmen, that if if this is important, then you should be doing this knowledge transfer all the time. Exactly. But what i at least what I have seen, is that when things like that are set up and so you have the, uh, you know, so at some companies, it's the the annual or annual conference, technical conference, where you fly everybody into one location to get together, or you set up this type of thing where you're going to have a monthly meeting or a weekly meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, you set it it's set up as a monthly as a weekly meeting that suddenly gets transferred to a monthly meeting because everybody has other more important stuff that they have to. You know, they're putting out the fires today. Uh, and then the monthly meeting eventually fades away because nobody shows up because they're busy putting out fires as well, and, and, and it's only once a month.
2: Well, they're there are other meetings, Jeff.
3: <laughs> I know it's only once a month. Is that important? They do it once a week. <laughs> well,
0: but, but 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 that's it. I mean, just human nature is it's it's always hard to look out, and, and when somebody's banging on your door, going, "I need you know, I need this report, or I need this design, or I need this analysis done today." to say well it's important to the company even if it really is important to the company but it's important to the company that I go spend an hour sharing you know stories of the old days oh yeah that's hard to justify for a lot of people it's it's hard
3: for it was hard for me to justify yeah yeah i'm not saying it'd be an easy process but yeah a good good management team with some foresight understands the importance of that and would be able to disseminate you know to their team that yes this is a priority and unless you are literally going to lose $10 million or something, if you don't get this done during lunch, you ex- are expected to be there. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you tie attendance to yearly reviews and, you know, maybe don't make it 50% of whether or not you get a raise or anything the next year. But, you know, if you show you, you show up to all of them or 80% of them, well, that, that could bump you up into a bigger raise or, you know, something because you're more valuable to the company now
2: hmm
1: well and it just it generally doesn't sound profitable
2: i was going to make a point about that where on the other side too where um there are at least in my opinion cultural differences between the boomers and the millennials with respect to how long they're going to stay at a company so great you've now transferred the knowledge from the boomer to the millennial who properly turns and takes it to his next job
3: yeah. Well, now we're opening the can of worms of creating a, a good work environment that encourages people to stay and have some loyalty and, you know, the give and take between employer and employee.
2: What is this L word you've used? I've never heard this before.
3: I, don't know. I think I read about it in a road machine book. Maybe it was a brand. It was a promotional flyer for loyalty road pavers. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a tough problem to solve because, yeah, you don't want to just keep transferring information to new people every week, month, year, you know, arbitrary period of time, and then have them always rotate out into a new job. Um, that's, That's definitely a larger issue of retaining talent. This is one of
1: those issues that makes me very happy. I work in government where we really don't care if we train you and then you go to work for a consultant because now we've got somebody better to hire.
2: Wait... It's almost like it's, that's a plan. Maybe not care. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I mean, there's a little bit of a care, but it, it, it's it's not as big of a deal. Because in the end, you're probably working for us at some point anyway. So, I mean, yeah, it's okay. So we spent the money on it. Now we got to hire somebody else and t- pay to train them. And now this consultant gets to make a ton of money off of this person that we trained. But at the same time, now we end up training them anyway, whether they work for the consultant and we're – paying the consultant for the opportunity to train them or we're paying them as an employee for the opportunity to train them.
0: Mm. Well, and I think your industry is a little different in that most, most of the business is going through the government. If you're doing road building, there's not a whole lot of private road building companies, I don't think. Are there? Uh,
1: Well, the actual people doing the construction are, but Uh, they're not financing it. No.
0: Right. But I mean, this is a problem that's been going on for years. I mean, when Mm -hmm. I worked at a small machine shop, Uh, we would train, we would bring in people that had no machining experience. The company would train them how to run the machines. And then they would turn around and go get hired on at one of the audio auto manufacturing plants and make, you know, get, get a 50% boost in salary. Mm -hmm. And that was always a problem. We get tired of, we got tired of training engineers or a machinist to go work for somebody else. And so I think that, that many companies have been playing this game of chicken for a number of years is, well, we're going to bet that we're not going to train our own, but we're going to bet that someone else will come along that we can hire at a cheap rate uh, and to fill the gap. And I think for a lot of years they've been able to do this. The, the question is, at what point does that supply run out, uh, and then they find them—you know—businesses find them stuck with nobody that has the proper technical knowledge to allow them to continue to run the business. Because
1: mm-hmm. nobody wants to pay to train the person. Right. And school only does so much.
0: Well, that's that's uh, that's also true. Uh, there was a, uh, in fact, there was an article that uh, you may find interesting. It, it was uh, it, from the Twin Cities Pioneer Press. It was it was titled "Can Minnesota Survive the Baby Boomer Retirement Wave?" And they eventually got to the point where they were talking about what you have to do in order to encourage the younger workers. And so there was a. Uh, see if I can find his name. I know it's Coombs, but I can't find his, his first name. Well, I'll go back. But anyway, he says, uh, and when it comes to younger workers, Coombs says, hey, there's a lot of jobs that aren't fun to do. Backbreaking jobs, work in a sheet metal shop, grinding or bending metal. And those people leave the workforce. The Gen X and millennials don't want those jobs. They don't see the point. And so he continues to say he laughs at theories for retaining or hiring workers based on massaging satisfaction levels or offering flexibility his number one solution, pay more money. You're just going to have to pay people what they're worth. So at least one person that's saying that, uh, it doesn't come down to, uh, to the sales job or the marketing. You just have, you have to pay people to get them to do the work
3: is a pretty good motivator. <laughs> well, it,
0: yeah. So I, I mean, I guess that's practical, but every indication, every study I've ever seen says that money is a very short term motivator. It boosts your your uh, your encouragement, your enthusiasm for the job for a short period of time, but very quickly you get comfortable with that pay level and you look for more.
1: Well, you also have to. I mean, I think part of this is the jobs he's talking about, and that is the the manual labor um, trades and and even not trades jobs, um, mm-hmm. and where you're talking. You, you are recruiting people who've gone to college with no real plan to get into um, a skilled career um, because they were told to go to college and they have all this debt. Um, I think that equation changes a lot when you start looking at people like engineers who I'm, I'm not saying that that paying engineers well is not important, but at some point they start to make enough money where it's not you know, an extra dollar an hour isn't that big of a deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And where the ability to choose your hours, okay, maybe that's worth a dollar an hour. Sure. Um, but they're getting paid a lot more than 20 bucks an hour, too.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to go back to this idea of uh, the critical information that needs to be transferred. So if, if, if someone were retiring out of your departments or your, or your, company what kind of things would would it be that you want to know are you are you really asking the technical details I mean you can't uh you know my world of machines you know you can't ask about every bolt and every you know hydraulic valve that's been used so what's what's the important stuff what is it what is the information that you'd want to know from a person if you're trying to soak up their information before they leave
2: what didn't work okay <laughs> that's right I mean I gave the example of the stories, but like, how did you get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. So that when I go and try to repeat that sequence or that design process, I don't hose it up and repeat the exact same mistakes. Mm-hmm.
3: I have like a big index or a, you know, a glossary of all the terms and slang and shorthand <laughs> that they use and what it all means. Yeah. Cause you know, that's that's big. Yeah. Not, not every time, but there's been times where I've, you know, as soon as I saw the solution, I say, Oh yeah, that's extremely obvious, but I never would have known to put that combination of words together to then go look up what the hell's going on. Yeah. So having a nice glossary of terms would be fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What their process is, how do they make the decisions that they make? What things are they considering? And touched on it earlier, what are all, who are all the people they
3: know? Steal the Rolodex because they're too busy hunting and pecking to type it all into their address book. <laughs> <laughs> Just learn their color coding so it's not like the office where <laughs> all the color codes are for things not to say. Right. So
0: if you're an engineer who is looking forward to retirement and you're on a good basis with your company, then you have perhaps, and you want the company to do well, you perhaps have incentive to share this knowledge with your coworkers and with the company uh, before you go. But what if you're not in such a great relationship or a great footing with your company and and you're not really particularly wanting to go and they're kind of hinting that they're going to kick you out? Would you be just as willing to share all this, this information?
3: Sure, but make it fun bury it, uh, bury it on a desert island somewhere, and give him a treasure map. <laughs> Write down
2: all your skills and and then go. Obfuscate <laughs> all your code. <laughs> Hang on till they kick you out, and then come back
1: consulting at three times what you were getting paid before,
0: and yeah, make that five. Yeah, well, if they're willing to pay you three or five times what you were making before, then you're in a pretty good bargaining position. That's that's not always the case. Yeah.
3: Just get drunk at your retirement party and, you know, take a picture of your ass on a copier.
2: Well, there you go. Go out of yes, all, style. All retirement, all retirement should begin by telling everyone off.
3: What are you going to do, not give you a reference? You're retired. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so as I
0: mentioned earlier, the, you know, part of the problem is, you know, for me many boomers, they're, they're, parents had pensions to retire to, and those pensions are gone. You know, so so this generation is having to retire on uh, Social Security and their 401k uh, programs, and they didn't, you know, traditionally didn't stick enough, or stereotypically didn't stick enough uh, into their 401ks, and they're having to take care of their parents now, and the benefits have been pushed back. You know, you have to to uh, to live longer to get more on your Social Security benefits, that kind of thing. So, there's there's no there's there's much less incentive for them to uh, retire uh, because they just don't have enough as well as the you know the dot com boom uh, of the two thousands and the, and the great recession of two thousand eight wiped out much of their retirement savings.
2: So on that note, let's say something positive. Proton. <laughs> <laughs> Game set,
3: Carmen. <laughs> uh, right, just just full of them today.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, there's an article here in USA Today that is that USA Today. Yeah, that uh, was saying it's it's not all gloom and doom when it comes to retirement. Uh, while the financial crisis decimated investment portfolios, household retirement savings have increased from seventy five thousand in two thousand seven to one hundred twenty seven thousand in twenty fourteen. But you got to retire on. 75000 a lot of people have to, but that's a year's income for many engineers, not something to live on for many, many years. So uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is an awful lot of boomers have don't want to go, have no intention of going, aren't looking forward to retirement, and so are not necessarily going to be cooperative if somebody tr- is trying to shove them out the door. Mm-hmm. Do you... See this in the workplace, or are there are there not just not enough boomers around to uh, to have any kind of statistically valid sample as to whether they're uh, they're fighting the push to retirement.
3: I, I'd have to go with that one. I mean, yeah, we've we've had a few guys I've mentioned, but <laughs> it's not like I work in a big plant or anything where there'd be enough people like that where it would it would make a dent and be one or two guys who kind of go when they want to go. Yeah. I
1: must be an outlier because um, where I work, we still have check a month, check a month pensions, and um, what is a check a month pension? Well, like a traditional pension where you get a check every month.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> versus, I, th- I thought that was all one word, check a month. <laughs>
1: no, um, yeah, versus like the four hundred one ks and and where you get cashed out, but where you you receive a, a paycheck every month, or probably every other every other week, but. Um, most people around on my office. Don't have a problem with the retire. They got a retirement date set and they don't have a problem with it. Maybe they're saving up a, a little bit. Most of the ones who are waiting have kids who are entering college. And so they're, I mean, they're delaying until the kids graduate and are supporting themselves. But that's, you know, they're, it's not like they're fighting retirement.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Ah, sweet, sweet, divine benefit plants. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I've seen people that had retired and then, um, you know, we're back in a bit, back in the building two weeks later, effectively doing the exact same work, you know, three or four times a week, you know, not full time and, You know, I've often speculated that the company would make it worth, had made it worth their while not to spend the time with their family. So, again, looking through the literature as getting ready for for our discussion this
0: evening, there are a lot of articles encouraging businesses. You have to, you know, your HR department has to reach out to these uh, retiring engineers or older engineers to get them to come back on a retainer basis or a consulting basis or a flex time basis because it was cheaper to keep them on board and and pay them this this higher higher consulting rate than it was to do without them, mm-hmm. which pretty much says they were underpaid for all the years they were there without getting a consulting fee. Well, but uh, frequently those those people that you bring back, you're no longer
1: paying health care. You're no longer, if you do yeah. match retirement, you're no longer contributing to that either. Right. So, so a lot of your. I don't know I've heard uh, rough statistics that an employee is somewhere between 50 and a hundred percent more expensive than you pay them per hour. Absolutely. Um, so you can afford to pay them a lot more if, if they don't cost twice what you're paying them. Yeah, that's true. Especially at part time. Um, then you have that, that flexibility where that, that new, the new person who's theoretically taken over their job Well, I just need to wait till tomorrow when, when Frank is in to ask him the, the answer to this question that I am having trouble with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other advantage of having someone on contract is that when, if things turn south, you just don't rewrite the contract, you know, you say the contract is good through the end of this month or six months or a year. And if things turn south, you don't just don't renew the contract, which is much easier than uh, having to lay off or fire someone. Hmm. So I had come across a, uh, infographic from, uh, Kelly. It used to be, uh, I think Kelly temporary services or something, but I can't, I don't know what they go through by these names. I think it's just Kelly services, but, uh, they had an infographic about the engineering employment outlook and they were looking forward to, uh, the, the demand for engineers, uh, out through 2023. Now, 2023 seems, you know, at first to me, I look at that number and it's like, wow, that's a long time away. And then I think about it. No, this is 2016. That's only seven years out. <laughs> yeah, 23. Wow. So anyway, they they say that uh, engineering job projections through 2023, there will be uh, 11% growth in the number of engineering jobs. And so part of that will come from the retirement of baby boomers as well as, as just organic growth of in the industry. But, but What I've seen from the Bureau of Labor Statistics is that it's more likely engineering is is going to be like 5% growth. It'll be about the same as the rest of the industry. And it depends very much on which industry you're in. For instance, electronics engineer shows the Bureau of Labor Statistics proposes that it's going to be zero growth over the next five or 10 years. Uh, But anyway, back to this uh, infographic from Kelly, they just Note the top ten occupations, the growth forecast for engineering occupations, and you'll be happy to know, Adam, that at the top of the list is civil engineers. Yeah, it seems right. Forty-five thousand seven hundred forty-five jobs. I'm, <laughs> I'm guess I'm guessing they've, they've they've probably gone a little too precise on that. You know, I, I think that probably the last three digits are, are probably <laughs> the uncertainty there, but. <laughs> Maybe the last I'd five. I'd be surprised, surprised at the first digits, right? But okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh they're followed so think about this. Civil engineers 45,745, followed by mechanical engineers 25,485. So almost by by almost double the number of civil engineers.
1: Well, you gotta also remember civil engineers following um World War II, I mean that was the the, um, interstate era. Right. You know, there, there was a huge amount of civil engineering works going on after world war two and into the, into the, uh, the, the cold war and through the cold war. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, there's, that was a huge field before electrical really took off and all these other fields took off. I mean, and mechanicals okay. always been there, but so I mean, it doesn't surprise me.
3: Mm
0: hmm. Um, let me see. They've got architectural and engineering managers next at plus nineteen thousand. Then industrial engineers plus seventeen thousand. So industrial engineers are above electrical and petroleum and computer hardware engineers. Hmm. Okay. So we, we've uh, those are a few of the the engineering occupations that at least Kelly thinks is are going to grow. Um, then they also list the top ten locations and. Surprisingly, by a huge factor, the top location is not San Francisco, it's not New York, it's not Los Angeles, it's not Chicago. It's Houston, Texas. Really? Which I always associated with the oil industry, and I didn't, in these days, that the oil industry is kind of struggling, so I'm a little surprised. But they say there's going to be 15,000 engineers needed in Houston, Texas over the next seven years. For what? I don't know. They don't. They don't say in greater detail. And number two is Donald against- Trump's wall. <laughs> well, number two is even more surprising to me. They want ten thousand
2: engineers in Washington, DC. Well, that makes sense, actually. of oh, DC proper or the Maryland district, you know, area. Yeah, the Maryland district. Well, it's a, it's a metro area. You're talking about national defense and uh uh infosec type stuff. Hmm. Okay. At least that's what I'm assuming they're talking about. Yeah. I mean, look at the number of engineers that work for, you know, the NSA. And I would imagine a lot of those jobs are in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Oh, or the DC area, but primarily Virginia and Maryland. Okay. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're probably not revamping the subway.
3: Unfortunately.
2: <laughs> probably not. So Minnesota's on the list for screwed. Minnesota's on the list for what? As the. T- the hot place to go if you want an engineering job. I don't see it on this list. Is yeah, it on a different list? Oh, no. I was commenting the fact that it's not on the list. Oh,
0: okay.
1: You know, look at this list, and there's quite a few that are nice places. And I wonder if uh, a bunch of the soon-to-be retiring engineers have already relocated to retirement homes in Houston and Dallas and <laughs> Phoenix. <laughs> Uh, maybe. And that's where these numbers come from.
2: Possibly. Aren't most of the semiconductor companies in Texas out of Austin? Uh,
3: maybe. I don't know if it's Austin necessarily, but I know like AMD's down there. And
2: Sorry, listeners, for the baseless speculation, but just thought maybe Carmen might know. I'm sure there's some. TI yeah,
3: is in Dallas. AMD, I think, is in Austin there's, there's got to be more that i'm just not aware of right so a,
0: again this the uh, the interest though varies by field and, and so you know i don't know as the bureau of labor statistics has a a uh, you know a crystal ball that allows them to know exactly what what the uh, uh the hiring future is going to be but uh for electrical and electronics engineers they show the job outlook from 2014 to 2024 as being 0%, little or no
3: change. Good. That means we're replacing engineers as fast as we're hiring them. We're hundred percent efficient.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let me see what they have to say about civil engineers, civil engineers, job outlook, 8% as fast as average. So even civil engineering, which according to the Kelly people is a really booming industry uh they're adding jobs no faster than the economy as a whole no i i'm wondering you know is this adding jobs new jobs or does this include filling vacated jobs well it's the projected change in employment so it is it is new jobs over what is existing so it's it's backfilling the retirement of boomers as well as new employment so this is on top of the backfill yeah so they're projecting an employment change of 23,600 engineers over the 10-year period from 2014 to 2024. I can live with that. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so I, again, the point is that, uh, I, again, I don't, I don't exactly know what the numbers are, but it's not like a lot of fields of engineering are surging at, at a growth of you know, 15% per year. And part of that i so, I assume is the technology i mean we 've talked about it before on this podcast is uh, when I was young, we had rooms full of drafts people that were making drawings by hand, and so every time you wanted to you know you, you updated a drawing, you had to circle it, you had to take the old drawing uh, uh, circle what you wanted changed, write up the change, give it to the drafts person, they would make the change they would send it to you you 'd see the drawing on vellum. Uh, you know you'd approve the change sign the change you go back into the vault all that kind of stuff and now you know you're on you're on 3d cad all you know you bring up the cad file you change it you put it back and what used to take you know seven days and 14 people a junior engineer can do in an afternoon well some junior engineers can (laughs) some junior engineers can that's right (laughs) some don't know cad (laughs) that's that's true too Oh, and and so that's an excellent point, that, uh, is that just because you have an engineering degree doesn't mean that anybody wants you. And I think that's the other part that we get confused about sometimes. We talk about this mismatch between the number of engineering jobs and, and the number of undergrads or, or engineering graduates. But if you're an engineering graduate and you get done and you just have no uh, aptitude for the, you know, the field of engineering that you're in, or you have even, you know, even worse is you have an aptitude, but you have no experience. And until you get your foot in the door and get that experience where people go, Hey, I can, I can trust on hiring this person into this job. That's just really, really tough. And so uh, I think too often we say, well, somebody has an engineering degree, they're qualified or they're ready to be an engineer. And I don't think that's always the case.
1: Yeah. That's where you get entry level postings with uh, minimum 10 years experience. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Or you, or you, there's looking for a, uh, a swift uh, programmer with 10 years of experience.
2: Yeah. Yes. The month after the language is invented. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yep. HR got involved in that posting. <sighs> Without a doubt. Well, so my wife has recently retired. We went through uh the process of, of preparing for her retirement. Now I, on the other hand, started my second career in, in academia late in my career. And, and I have no, in, no intention of retiring anytime, anytime. I just can't imagine not having something to do and, and uh, some work associated with, with engineering. I love that. So uh, that's sort of my plan. Uh, you, ha- you guys have any thoughts about uh, how long it is you'd like to work in your careers?
3: To about 35 or so. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and then what do you want to
3: do? Retire and take it one day at a time. Okay.
2: No, that's the wrong answer, Carmen. You want to retire rich.
3: <laughs> well, that was implied. I mean, who wants to retire poor if they have a choice? I'm already doing it at 35.
1: Clearly. Yeah, you'd hit, well, you need a lot of retirement savings to retire at 35.
3: Yeah, I got get Powerball tickets under my uh, mattress. <laughs> you know, you have to cash
1: those in with a certain time within a certain time frame.
3: Yeah, before I'm 35. <laughs> uh, I got this all figured out.
0: Hey, and what, what about you, Brian? When, when do you want to retire?
2: <sighs> I don't know if I'll. Uh, some days I feel like I'll never retire. I'll work until I die. Yeah. Which is hopefully old, but who knows? Um, other times I'd like to financially plan that I'm able to leave in my 50s, but. I've learned that kids are expensive. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, well, perhaps the
0: singularity will come along, and we can transfer our knowledge to a, uh, you know, a uh, artificial intelligence mind or something, and and uh, so we can continue on forever.
1: Then you never get to retire. Yes.
0: I, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Depends on the day. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think there is uh, definitely a, a a coming change with with the boomers. I, everything I've I've heard about and read about is that the boomers are fighting uh, to retain their jobs as long as they possibly can. They they for the most part don't have any desire, don't have any intent of uh, going quickly or easily. Uh, but uh, for those of our listeners who are younger engineers, there may come that point where you have to. Uh, uh, to absorb some of that information from an from a senior engineer before they retire. And if you have the chance, uh please be kind, patient, and uh see if you can't uh soak up all that knowledge so that uh you also will have a long and glorious engineering career.
3: Here, here. So what do
0: you say, guys? Is that uh is that enough for an episode? Works for me. That's a wrap. All right. Well we'll uh we'll gather in a couple of weeks and do this again. And we will introduce, are you ready for it? A chemical engineer.
3: Yes. <laughs> and this is going to be interesting. And then what, we retire from the podcast because we got them all? I, that may be it. We
2: filled the bingo sheet. I think we're inviting disaster <laughs> at this point. We've made so much of a joke about it. You know, some double E's going to call in and be like, yeah, I'm totally a chemical engineer. <laughs> I deal with chemicals and stuff.
0: Well, I, I'm pretty sure. Th- I'm pretty sure the guest we have uh, we have scheduled is really and truly a chemical engineer.
2: Yeah, we'll see, Jeff.
0: <laughs> all right. So, for all our listeners, come back in two weeks, and uh, you can see for yourself whether we really have a chemical engineer or whether it's somebody just pretending. It'll just be me speaking with an accent. <laughs> 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 all right. Well. Thank you, guys, and uh, we'll get together in a couple of weeks and do another episode of The Engineering Commons. Bye. All right. Take it easy.
2: Bye, guys.
1: The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson.